You're really seeing a, a market shift, both here in the U.S. and abroad. Governments that are trying to create new mechanisms to not just source companies that are outside of the traditional industrial base, but also help incentivize companies to look at defense or intelligence use cases. Hello, and welcome to a slightly different episode of Global Venture Review. I'm standing in for our usual podcast host, Fernando Moncada Rivera. I'm Maya Palmer, editor of Global Venturing. And today we're really talking about the defense industry because GCV is just launching a defense council. We'll hear a little bit more about what that is going to do. But what I will say in the beginning is this is a particularly pertinent time to be talking about defense. It used to be a sort of no-go area for venture investing. It was something that investors would get very nervous about, thinking that you know they were going to be branded as somebody who was investing in bullets and other kinetic weapons. But actually, what we've seen is that there's a lot of dual-use technology that's coming in. It's very necessary to be keeping up with the latest sort of software, AI, machine learning type developments, not to mention things like drones, etc. And also, the fact that we have war returning to Europe for the first time in 70 years, has also really concentrated people's minds on this industry. So I couldn't think of a better time to be talking about this. And what we have seen at GCV is a sort of increased interest in people doing deals in this sector. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Ryan Lewis, who is a partner at SRI Ventures, and Tom Park, who is a partner at BDC Deep Tech Fund, who both are going to be chairing the GCV Defense Council, and they're both investors in this area. So Welcome, Tom. Welcome, Ryan. Just tell me a little bit, you know, why the Defense Council and, and, and why now? Well, Maya, thanks again for the opportunity to be on the show today. Really appreciate it. Now, you know, one of the, one of the things that we're most interested in with launching the Defense Council now is that it really comes as kind of you implied at a kind of a confluence of different events that are all impacting the broader defense industry. And one of those things, right, is that on the one hand, you're seeing sort of desire from the U.S. government and allied governments, right, to bring in new non-traditional type companies. And on the other hand, you have sort of traditional defense primes or other companies that have been servicing the defense industrial base, looking for new ways to bring in innovation, right? And so when you put these two things together, it actually presents a really unique opportunity for corporate investors to not only invest in new companies, but serve as a mechanism to help those new startups enter into the industry and figure out the best way that they can serve different government missions. And so with anything that's new, right, bringing together investors and figuring out how they want to work together, what sectors maybe need the most attention, and what areas maybe from a policy perspective deserve the attention of corporate groups. These are all pertinent topics that Tom and I are excited to help chair and have different corporate investors focus on over the next two years. Yeah, and Tom, do you agree? Is this this is kind of a time when yeah, new investors really can come to into an industry that used to be quite sewn up between big defense contractors, really, and it was hard to get entry. Yeah, absolutely, and I fully agree with Ryan. And I would also add the context: in the last ten years, we've had a super cycle in venture capital investment. So, if you think back in the last ten years. 
We think of Palantir, we think of Uber, we think of these large companies that just came from VC-backed startups, like there were just a, a, a few folks in the, in the PowerPoint deck and a not great product. And I think what we've seen in the last 10 years, and I think a lot of defense companies and those in technologies with a dual-use purpose, is that the, the whole innovation ecosystem has changed to what it was 20 years ago, where a lot of the technologies can be done in-house with short cycle times. And I think what Ryan was saying, the acute our urgency innovation in this space, as well as growing sensitivity of the geopolitical space, as well as a great opportunity in which the R&D, another source of amazing R&D is out in the private sector. It really calls the need for a council to kind of share best practices and, and bring the key players to the table. Okay. And so the council is really going to be about trying to bring together a sort of consortia of investors, I guess. That's what you're hoping to, to get out of this. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and you know, and Tom brings up an interesting point, which is for a lot of these investors, there there are the corporate funds specifically, they may only be in existence for the last one or two years. And so with the arrival of a lot of new funds, it's also interesting just to see how this sort of sector or subsector could actually work together as a syndicate in different investments, particularly right as sort of this initial investment vintage matures. And investors are start either executing follow-on investments or looking for the next series of companies. So hopefully figuring out how we can work together on different areas and figure out what partnerships make the most sense. I think the Defense Council is well positioned to help with some of that. And it would be great to unpack a little bit the kind of the opportunity here, because I guess, you know, the first part of it is just the tech opportunity in the sense that a lot of the the developments the military is keen to make sure they're at the cutting edge of, can they really come from the startup community? Can they really come from those kind of external actors now? So I, I would say that's, for, for a lot of the startups that iPhone works with, you know, they don't primarily target the military or defense primarily, but the procurement opportunity with the national security ecosystem, is really compelling. Whether you're in semiconductors, foundational AI, and so they're often can be like a first use case customer. And I think SRI and its history and rank certainly lean in has shown that how transformative these kinds of procurement contracts and relationships can be in taking an unknown technology that's very early, de-risking it, and then it comes back to the private sector. Okay. So you almost using the military. So the military becomes that first customer that they can, have you got any examples, Ryan, of where you've taken something like this and it's worked well. Yeah, you know, to, to Tom's point often if you look at kind of where some of the key technologies that have been identified recently both by the White House as well as by the Pentagon as well as, as some of the US intelligence agencies and there are similar analogs across the different allied governments. You know, there there are obvious technologies that are key that have much more of a military focus or an intelligence focus. But there are many, right, that are almost completely equivalent to some of the biggest trends that you're seeing in the commercial market, right? So in the areas, for example, AIML in the subsector right now is generating a ton of attention on the generative side. This is a key focus for the government just as much as it is for any Fortune 500 company. And in those cases, right, working with early stage companies, whether they have any defense focus or not, those are great candidates for us to target. And in fact, to Tom's point, the government in some cases can serve as a really strong design partner 
for those companies in the early stage where like a lot of deep tech companies, they may need to work with an organization to fine tune their product before they can highlight right the true impact of what they're bringing to the market. In some cases, the government can be very well positioned for that. Both in this job and certainly in my, in my prior career, you know, I've seen that in multiple cases more on the software side, where early stage companies will launch like a, a pilot or a proof of concept with an intelligence agency or a defense customer and really tune out, in this case, maybe some of their advanced analytic models to show what they can do and then use that proof point, right, to expand both in not only the public sector, but in the private sector as well. Yeah. But okay, but correct me if I'm wrong, I may be behind the times on this, but my impression of any government as a customer is that the procurement times are very long, it's everything's very slow. And isn't there that kind of risk that it's just too difficult for startups to kind of get through that? So uh, rank is speak to America. So I know there's challenges in the US, you can multiply that by 10 in Canada, how long these things take place in Canada. And uh, it is certainly true, Maya. I think there, there's some great initiatives here, which is the ideas program at, D, at the Department of National Defense here. So that's going well, or Innovation Solutions Canada, or they're trying to give out quicker contract. It can be a problem. So at the very least, a relationship or some kind of engagement with the national security establishment is very helpful for startups. So our fund helps our portfolio companies to navigate that process. So that's our expertise. We bring that value add. But the second thing that we do is, hey, if the security establishment that isn't very like persuaded by your cybersecurity solution. That's not, you're probably not going to find a private sector fit for a solution. Or like, you know, they're, they're quite, they have pretty deep and extensive research labs up here. So if they're not blown away, that's also another way for us to kind of triangulate where a startup or founder needs to go or whether it's, it is a VC backable company rather than a, a really interesting research project. Okay, so it, sounds, so it sounds interesting that you've got that expertise to kind of almost handhold the good ones, the ones that really do have some technology that's worth taking forward. You can take them, help them navigate that what can be an otherwise quite confusing process. Certainly, I, I hear a lot here in the UK about people saying, you know, once you get in and you sell something to the MOD, that's great. You know, it's, it's a very steady form of income. The problem is you might, you know, die as a startup die. before you, you manage to jump through all the hoops. So. But I guess what you're offering then is is some help in kind of making maybe making that shorter or making that at least a little bit more understandable and and, and so on. And I think that's broad. I think you could extend that broadly to sort of corporate investors that are focused on this sector generally, right? Like I, I think particularly true here in in the U.S. is you know it, it's kind of a tale of two cities, right? On on the one hand, right, Maya, to your exact point, right, it is someone who has written many proposals in his in his lifetime and spent many holidays reviewing the final technical review session, it can be painful, right? There, there is no way around that. And beyond that individual pain, right? It can just be very complex. And for companies that have to move fast and have limited amount of resources, that this may be a bridge too far, right? But on the other hand, really in the last couple of years, and Tom intimated this previously, that you're really seeing a, a market shift, both here in the US and, and abroad, governments that are trying to create new mechanisms to not just source companies that are outside of the traditional industrial base, but also help incentivize companies to look at defense or uh, intelligence use cases. And this manifests itself in a whole variety of different contracting mechanisms that we could probably have a whole separate podcast on. 
right? And I think maybe one mechanism that maybe bridges that gap between, you know, this kind of brutal market that can be slow and driven by five-year budgeting cycles, but on the other hand, all these new techniques, one of those bridges could be corporate investors, right? That offer, as Tom was mentioning with what BDC has been doing and broader programs in Canada, you know, what you'll see a lot of the sort of strategic investors here is that they're not just putting in capital or doing advanced tech diligence, but they're also hopefully aligning those companies with some of their contract opportunities. So they're serving as a longer term design partner, but then also helping bringing those companies into actual programs. I think where the where the wild card goes, and I think one of the things I'm most excited about with the council is that we're really starting to experiment with all this now. I think one of the things that we're going to be focused on looking ahead is how do we mature this process, right? So it goes from something that's really exciting and interesting and a new way to kind of accelerate R&D to something that becomes sort of a almost a, a clear mechanism for startups and investors to think about when a company is building its initial business plan. Okay. And one more question really about this. Why corporate investors in particular? I mean, do you feel that there's a very specific role that that they can play in this, but you know, looking at defense tech as opposed to your average VC. There's certainly a a place for for both in the in a in a syndicate for a company that's either dual use. I think where you know one, not the only, but certainly one avenue for a corporate investor is that you know they can do direct experimentation with a technology with a company's technology on different projects that they have. Right, they have an interest in highlighting new innovative techniques on different bids that they have, or that they're going to be submitting to the government, and it serves as a as in just from one lens as a potential channel for startups to reach the customer more quickly as they figure out and fine tune their product and business models. That's certainly not the only advantage for certain corporate investors, but in a lot of conversations that that I've had with companies that are either dual use or thinking about becoming so, it's certainly one of the big advantages they see to corporate and other strategic investors. Okay. And, and are you seeing a lot more interest among corporate investors in this? So that's such a great question. So we're in the middle of a market correction in VCA. There's no secret behind that. And I know at GCV, you're seeing a lot of your membership. So I will say a lot of the membership rethinking whether they want to continue doing any form of corporate venture. Though so I will say, though people are a lot more mindful and not panicking as much as they did 10 years ago when they just shut down the programs and tried to harvest cash, but it was a financial crisis. So that's a good thing. But we still see defense, I would say, and mobility, like especially defense and national security. That's probably one of the one sectors in which they're either more bullish and there's more resources available than before. And that's what's interesting. It's true. A lot of startups hesitate to take on uh, funding from a strategic. And one of them is that they don't want to be seen as critical captured by one strategic, not be able to cooperate with the competitors. And that is a concern that many startups have. However, I really enjoyed working with GCV and the various CVC teams for two reasons. One, they're there. They can write bigger checks down the road, which is very helpful, right? Especially in this kind of market. But two, just the market validation. Like what we want to hear is that it's okay if you say no, if the reason is we're really excited, I just can't get this over the hill internally, rather than we've got something like this, there isn't really a solution or this doesn't really solve a pain for us. So that insight is actually very helpful. 
Yeah, I think I think corporates do bring that kind of validation, and that's actually often also by the general public. I, I know we're not really talking about consumer tech here, but I just think in general that that kind of mark of approval by a big corporate can can actually have a lot of value, and 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 maybe it does here as well, even though it's more of a sort of B two B situation and often. But I, I think also I think I think you're right. It's interesting that you're highlighting defense tech as something that's holding up quite well. We are seeing that although there's a general market retreat, there are these little pockets. And actually, interestingly enough, what we're seeing is that the corporate investors, at least for the moment, and we'll see how long that lasts, have retreated a lot less than VC overall. So where we've seen a sort of 25%, roughly speaking, fall in deals across the market in general, it's only been about 2% when you look at corporate-backed deals, which is, you know, actually surprised us because it's often corporate investors get characterized as the ones who retreat first, but that's certainly not how it's panning out here. And and there do seem to be some sectors that are holding out better than others. So yeah, defense, it could be a good good time to um, to invest in some of that kind of, you know, like I, I think this could be a good vintage, right, of companies right now. Exactly. And I would also add maybe is just very quickly, what's helpful about the council is not just targeting to defense technology and application in the defense sector. There's also a great opportunity for us to understand the geopolitical landscape. Like in North America, the supply chain is being rewritten completely right now, especially for semiconductors, mobility, everything. It's being rewritten now. And having just talking, and a lot of it's driven by national security concerns. This French roaring, like I'm in Canada, we're, <laughs> we're America's biggest trade partner. And so this has an impact on us, the Anti-Inflation Act. And so... Having this kind of platform is very helpful to say, what is going on? What's going on in DC? What's going on within the five eyes and how they're thinking about it? Yeah. Okay. So you can almost kind of share intel on how that's kind of panning out, particularly the sort of countries that you're most closely allied with. It would be remiss of me if I didn't ask you a little bit about kind of technologies that you're particularly interested in. I always love asking any investor on what's getting you excited at the moment, but are there things in the market that are kind of worth highlighting right now? Yeah, I think absolutely. And I, I think some of this is, you know, an extension from kind of what we already mentioned, which is certain technologies are operating in sectors that, as Tom mentioned, in the case of supply chain, is being completely reconfigured, given what's happening in the world. Equally, in a somewhat similar vein, is that, at least for the first time in my career, technologies are being identified as critical to national security. That wasn't when I first started uh, looking at distributed compute systems. No one was saying this is a national security focus at the time. And so for one of the areas, right, that we're looking at, SRI, right, as a, as a corporate investor, right, we invest uh, not only cash, but we also align IP and know-how into early stage deals. And one of the areas where we have been an aggressive investor over the years has been aligning IP that's coming out of our computer sciences group. So a lot of this falls well into the AIML domain. One particular area, right, as just an example, is that as more of these systems are deployed in a variety of different settings, right, we've been looking at companies, right, that are enabling those analytic capabilities to move further out to the edge, whether that is offering whole new platforms or offering essentially models that are highly optimized for different use cases. That's something we've been very interested in because it moves this functionality out of the data center and into sort of a wide variety of platforms and, and use cases. And while certainly there are a lot of defense and intelligence applications that can go with that, 
there is an equal number, if not more, certainly on the private sector side that are looking for similar capability. And then what about you, Tom? What's kind of getting you jumping up and down with excitement? I got a Canadian perspective. So, you know, we are a center of excellence for artificial intelligence up here, and we're seeing some remarkable innovation in foundational AI. We're seeing some great innovations in like in the algorithms themselves. So, you know, we've got the local champion here, Cohere. We've got another emerging champion, Darwin AI. There's some great AI startups. I think what's interesting too is this we're seeing a big surge in semiconductors. So hardware is cool again which we haven't seen in a really long time, especially in the semiconductor space, and I would say advanced manufacturing. All of this French shoring, we just, there was a reason why they out, uh, outsourced a lot of the manufacturing of the countries because it was cost. We can't, if we want to improve productivity, it's really going to come from impl- deploying these kinds of innovations. So I would say also on the advanced manufacturing side, supply chain side. Yeah, okay. The AI kind of race has been something that we've been talking about for for quite a while, and and is that does that still continue to be a huge worry? You know, there was at least the last few years. You know, we've been sort of panicking about whether China will definitively get ahead of perhaps Western countries on this. I don't I don't know if you have a view on that. I will say this, just my own personal view. Like I had met Kai Fu Lee, right? He's the biggest, like I would say, proponent of that. Well, China will win because lots of data beats. No, a little high quality data all the time, which actually is proven not true. That's what's remarkable. So I will just say, counting the West or America out, you're just going to, it's not a good, it's not a good bet to bet on. Like you can see with chat GPT, you can see with Cohere and the transformers and you, you can just see these things happening. And so, yes, let's not count China out, but I'm not going to count the West out either. Particularly, like if you look at just what's been happening, this is sticking the news in the last couple of weeks, where you know people are essentially trying to to write prompts, which will eventually cause something like GPT to break, right? And you know, there's there's plenty of critique right floating around on Twitter about that, but right, if you kind of step back from some of those tweets, right, and you look at it, and you think, well, what these technologies are highlighting is that one of the challenges to unlocking like a lot of their value is figuring out this last mile implementation problem. And that is not something that is necessarily brute force to resolve right with n number of papers or things to that effect. And some of the companies that Tom mentioned, you know, certainly some in our portfolio like Leighton is an example of that are really trying to tackle some of these problems of not just does the base implementation is it compelling but can it actually work? in a high functioning capacity for different use cases. That's really where it's early days. And it's really exciting. And I think we're just really at the beginning part of figuring out how impactful these systems really be. Yeah. And and just a quick question about kind of how broadly you'll be looking at things in the Defense Council. You know, I mean, We've been talking a lot about software, AI, you know, sensors and, and, and that kind of computer end of things. I mean, would you would you look, you know, at other types of hardware? I'm thinking, you know, you know hypersonics or I mean, you know, these might be getting beyond sort of what maybe a startup might be doing. But I'm I'm just wondering what's the scope? Absolutely. While it's more tempting for us, right, to maybe focus on some of the leading topics of the of the day in the in the market, but certainly the council, right, will focus on sort of a wide range of technical trends that are impacting the industry. And it, you fit on some, but certainly not just what's happening in the in the hardware space, whether that be space-based systems or airborne systems, 
such as new like unmanned aerial vehicle platforms, but how those intersect with software, because increasingly those capabilities, right, are interlinked from a capacity and capability perspective. And I think, you know, on the one hand, right, if you look at something like software, you may say, how are we looking to bring in companies that weren't thinking about defense, right? So it's a private sector first. In some of these hardware situations, it may be the inverse, right, where they are defense focused first. And how can we take something like a a very novel UAS platform and apply it to other commercial settings more broadly? Right. So I think what puts one of the things that puts this council in kind of a really unique place is that we can kind of look bi directional, right? In terms of things coming into the sector and things coming out of the sector. Yeah. I mean, and and there are plenty of examples, aren't there, of of companies that didn't perhaps start off thinking that they would be have a defense use. I'm, I'm thinking about things like games engines that, you know, that you can then use for simulating military situations or you could look at i don't know i suppose some of the you know virtual world stuff things that you you don't necessarily initially think have a military use can can surprisingly have some so so yeah so so let's talk a little bit so you'd you'd like to kind of bring in a broad range of companies to kind of be part of the council How, how is it how do you imagine it working really yeah you know we're in the process of doing this now but Tom and myself, with uh, the help of Amber uh, Knapp at GCV, right, we have been finalizing the, the list of candidates of different companies. And really, the goal has been not just diversity in sort of technical focus area, kind of what we've been talking about, as different funds maybe have different priority areas based on their sort of corporate missions and capabilities, but also increase the diversity across a geographic domain sitting here in DC, right? I have a a particular view of things. Sitting in Ottawa, Thomas, something is maybe slightly different. So trying to pull in corporate investors or strategic investors in different parts of the world as well, I think is key to building out a really impactful council. How sensitive will you be on kind of the nationality of, of those that might wish to join? I mean, right. Or Tom, you want to take that one? Oh, you can go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. It's like right now, you know, we focus both on, you know, North American funds as well as funds that are supporting or in a, in a NATO country, as well as allied states, right, in the Asia Pacific. So Tom mentioned funds that are working within South Korea and Japan, right? I think uh, the goal, right, is to be inclusive as we can, but certainly keeping it within sort of the core allied nations. I think it's kind of a, a first starting point for us. Yeah, sounds sensible. So you're finalizing the list. And so what are kind of next steps from here? Well, I, I just think we're just going to confirm the final composition of the council. We have our kickoff event end of March, which we're looking forward to. We'll have a, a, a cocktail hour, uh, I think, on the on the 28th. And then we'll have our first meeting on the 29th. So the Canadian Embassy in D.C. So it's a really nice venue. So we're really excited about that. Thank you in advance, Tom, for hosting. We appreciate it. It's a great, it's, I, I, I literally <laughs> ran by it over this weekend. It's a great spot. Sounds good. Okay. And then, so you'll then, and then you, I guess you'll sort of evolve as the, um, the program begins to roll out and you'll be, you'll be having kind of regular contact. Will there be kind of an agenda to discuss? Is that sort of TBC at this moment or? Yeah. I think part of it right, right now, those that we've been planning with, a rough outline of kind of three core areas, which is, you know, within the organization, establishing a couple technical subsectors, right? We've already kind of hit on that, even on this discussion today about, 
which investors are kind of interested in different domains. The second is is really going to focus on awareness across different government programs. Just in the last year alone, you've seen the launch of several new investment initiatives. There's one certainly in NATO right now that's prioritized on bringing new tech in. Tom mentioned some new prog- newish programs in Canada, the same here in the United States, right? So just bringing greater awareness on, on that, I think is key for investors. And I think the third part, which we certainly need to tease out further, is ongoing policy discussions. I think it's, I can't speak to some of the government discussions in other nations, but certainly here in, in the United States, right, there is a, a non-trivial amount of discussion on, on acquisition reform and other potential changes which would impact how different companies engage with the government. And then I think by extension, how corporate investors want to work with startups, right? So there's a lot happening, it's still really early days. And so I'm hoping as the council mature, evolves and matures, that it can be a hopefully a combined voice for for discussing some of these topics in greater detail. Yeah, so you could almost be kind of a a lobby group, or or at least a voice in some of these things to try to see if you can uh, make sure things don't steer in a way that will make it very awkward, I guess, for corporate investors to be involved in things. Yeah, so th- it sounds like there's there's quite a lot in the agenda because you've almost you've got this kind of informational side of just kind of keeping people aware of of all the very fast moving parts of this over a number of countries. Then you've got the kind of technology discovery aspect of it, I guess, with people coming in and 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 having different things in their portfolios which might be suitable for for use in different ways. And so that information sharing will be part of it and 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 yeah, and then maybe just being this influencing voice as well will be really interesting to see how that will evolve as 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 you guys get into your stride. It's 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 hot off the press now, right? newly formed. I should put in a plug, actually, that we'll have NATO. I think uh, it's just been confirmed, but they're definitely going to be present at the GCB Symposium in London in June. So that that may be another venue for having some of those discussions. And I think they're coming to talk about their Diana program. So Lovely. No, absolutely. Right. The more events, right, that we can target and bring in different corporate and strategic investors, the better. Right. This is, it is, it is interesting as someone that has been both an investor and an operator in this sector, it's amazing to see how much has changed in such a short period of time. And I think we're we're looking at almost a, a whole new way that R&D is being viewed in the existing industrial base. And I think startups are going to play a bigger role than ever in that. So it's cool to be on the ground floor of that. And if somebody is listening to this and they think, you know, I'd love to get involved, is there a process for joining the council or can they get in touch with one of you two? Yeah, absolutely. They can reach out to Tom or myself anytime. Between the two of us, one of us, we'll get back to you on it. And in, in, in all seriousness, right, certainly reach out to us and then we'll have our information right in the contact information in the, in the notes of uh, the podcast here. And we're happy to coordinate and share uh, the details that we have of uh, our planning. Okay. Well, that sounds great. It would be great to catch up with you guys again once things have sort of got underway and perhaps you've started some of those conversations. Um, I think there's a whole series of podcasts that we could do, certainly on the new technologies, but also on some of those kind of alternative funding mechanisms and and things, which we haven't really had a chance to kind of d- take the deep dive in on. So, No, absolutely. And I think it'd be great. Maybe next time we can bring on some of our different members from the council and have them talk. Although I'm always, I'm always looking forward to getting on another podcast with Tom. Yeah, you guys make a good duo. So welcome back anytime. 
But perhaps we ought to wrap it up there. So thanks, everyone. Thanks, Ryan and Tom, for coming to talk us through that. Exciting times. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Global Venturing Review. 